Welcome to the Talent and Learning Show podcast series, episode 12, with your host and independent tech analyst, John Lay. Today I interviewed Denise Zayak and Dr. John McGregor of the Ron Oxford Network about their collaborative learning tech programs for neonatal units and hospitals. You can find more of our content at talentandlearning.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Talented Learning Show podcast series. On this show, I'm fortunate to interview the world's leading experts in extended enterprise learning technology solutions from both the vendor and the practitioner perspectives. Today, from the practitioner expert side, we're thrilled to have two guests from the Vermont Oxford Network, which is a nonprofit voluntary collaboration of healthcare professionals working together to change the landscape of neonatal care. Our first guest is Denise Zayak, who is the Collaborative's coordinator and coach at Vermont Oxford Network. And Denise provides leadership, program development, and quality improvement coaching to 60 neonatal intensive care unit teams and 45 faculty members in a collaborative setting. Denise once ran a 200-member interprofessional neonatal care team and is an RN with a master's degree in public health from Dartmouth College. Welcome, Denise. Welcome. Thanks so much, John. We also have John McGregor, uh, Dr. John McGregor, a learning system manager. Uh, John's been creating, practicing, enhancing learning and development tools for the past eight years. John's professional training experience includes over 5,000 hours working in face-to-face and virtual environments, teaching everything from HR policies to product knowledge and more. John has a doctorate in education from the University of Phoenix. Welcome, John. Thank you. Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell us about your your organization. What what do you guys do? What's what's the purpose and mission of of the, the Vermont Oxford Network? Well, thank you, John. We, uh, as you pointed out, we are a nonprofit voluntary collaborative of uh, healthcare professionals. We were founded in 1988, and we work with teams of healthcare professionals from over a thousand centers worldwide. Our mission is to improve the quality and safety of medical care for newborn infants and their families through a coordinated program of research, education, and quality improvement projects. Wow. Wow. That sounds great. And what are your roles uh, in the organization, uh, other than just the titles I, I mentioned before? Uh, you know, how do you fit into the, the, the broader organization? So I'm happy to go first. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, my role is the collaborative coordinator, so we have two types of uh, collaborators. We do, we certainly collect data voluntarily that teams send in to us, and based on that, we help to identify where there are opportunities for improvement in the clinical care of hmm. newborns. And uh, I have a colleague who works with an internet-based, a strictly internet-based quality collaborative, and I coordinate, so I uh, design uh, deliver and evaluate, um, uh, along with my other colleagues, uh, a very intensive quality improvement collaborative. We, uh, we use quality improvement science and methods and help the teams identify where they might be able to improve care and provide them with the tools and resources and potentially better evidence-based, potentially better practices to be able to achieve that. Wow, outstanding, outstanding. And John? Yes, I am the uh, learning systems manager here, so I work with the LMS or the learning management system uh, to with Denise and with our other collaborative leaders to integrate the particular learning that they have and the resources into the system. So we create different lessons and learning plans and online curriculums that try to follow a path using the tools that the learners use in their day-to-day -day applications to build the most beneficial learning models for them to 
not only integrate that learning into their care, but enhance it over time with continual tests of change. Mm, interesting, interesting. So could you uh, maybe take a step back and you had three different pillars, one of them being education as, as part of your core mission. Could you outline what the, the broader scope of, of education uh, that you provide and, and who you provide it to? Uh, and I guess the, 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 the type of audience that is, paint the big picture for everybody. So I'm happy to take the first part of it, or the, the, I guess it's actually the latter part, but it sets the stage for, uh, for my colleague John. Uh, so to talk about who our learners are, and John will describe, I think, more about what it is we provide. So we work with, uh, so we would call them an interdisciplinary team. So if all the people in your neighborhood of a, uh, a neonatal environment, and when we say neonatal, we're talking about uh, essentially the first 30 days or so of a newborn's life. Mm. In particular, we focus on those infants who require very intensive care. Um, dealing with challenges. Many of them are born prematurely, uh, so before they're expected, and or they may have some other challenges or complications. Mm -hmm. So the people that we, it requires a very diverse team. So we have, uh, obviously we would have physicians and nurses, uh, also uh, neonatal nurse practitioners who work with us, um, specialists in the respiratory care because infants' lungs are one of mm. their biggest challenges. Um, in their developmental uh, physical stages. So we have uh, respiratory therapists, uh, also um, many other dedicated members, uh, pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, uh, dietitians, uh, dietary techs, um, many kinds of different therapists. Uh, we follow the infants through and uh, in neonatal care to see how their development is. Do we need to refer them for any additional services? So we would have multiple professionals working in neonatal follow-up, uh, developmental pediatricians, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, specialty pediatric therapists. So we have really all members of the team. And ideally, we would also include uh, people who are doing providing any other kind of support. So um, we have social workers, um, chaplains, uh, other types of uh, developmental specialists, uh, people providing psychosocial support to the families, the administrative staff, and ideally including even the, uh, the housekeeping or physical environment staff, because that can have a big impact on the safety of the infants. So our, our learners include all of those plus the leadership for all of these teams. Wow, wow. Who would have thought that there are so many inter disciplinary uh, professionals that were involved in neo neonatal care. That's that's just a, a astounding. Uh, John, so how do you create content for all those different types of learners and audiences and needs? And goodness, that, that sounds like a, a big task. It is, and it, it, is, uh, it is difficult. We have, as Denise had said before, two different collaboratives. And as we continue to discuss, we'll talk about how those collaboratives are actually quite different in how they learn and the types of learning that we provide. Um, one of the collaboratives that we have, they cater to or really benefit from kind of your traditional online learning with providing a, a targeted uh, learning set of lessons that they work through, uh, they earn credit, and then they report that they've report back to their um, supervisors that they've achieved that credit to meet a goal of trying to get a certain amount of learners within their centers to have that universal learning and education. The other type 
of collaborative that we have is very more communicative and collaborative and works together to understand knowledge based on a, a particular sequence of steps to achieve and build a particular abstract or learning improvement project which they'll continually change over and over and over again. So traditional online learning doesn't quite meet all of their needs. It definitely fits in when they're trying to, if they have a particular goal and they're trying to understand and learn and get some background and prior knowledge, obviously understanding and, and viewing lessons is how they can get some of that particular knowledge, but viewing those lessons just to get the credit is just a piece of what ultimately they do. So we had integrated a lot more of different types of scaffolded learning to try to segment and bring them through and really focus on particular areas as they work through towards that particular project so they can really break up the learning in and work to uh, champion how they're going to teach that to their users because just like in any particular learning situation, a center that's on the East Coast or on the West Coast or in a different country is going to be dealing with different challenges. They're going to be dealing with different environments. Their patients are going to have uh, different types of, of challenges that they're uh, focusing based on other centers and, and we need to help them provide the learning that they need, but also in a way that is flexible for them to then translate that to their particular culture and their users uh, so it can be most beneficial and maximized for them. So it has to be pretty flexible, but it also has to be very targeted and scaffolded at the same time. So it's a challenge, but it's, it's a good challenge to have. Wow. Wow. I do this for a living. You just got two, uh, two terms. I'm not sure what it means. What, what does scaffolded mean? Uh, scaffolded learning is basically when you when you you're segmenting learning. If you think of it as everybody who um, is learning is um, building on each different step as they're learning together, and you want to really try to make sure that you're focusing one particular task at one particular time before you move on to the next one. So you're really building on the learning as you're moving up to the particular goals. And so we wanted to make sure that we were we were doing that because a lot of times it's easier to break something apart and learn it. Definitely you need to be, have more planning and it needs to take more time, but I think we all know that if we plan better and we do things in pieces, uh, whatever we build at the end is going to build, be a lot more, oh, not a lot better I would say, but we're going to be more confident in our learning. We're going to have more self-efficacy in what we do and that's going to help especially, especially in these environments where we need to continuously make tests of change and in addition with being confident we also have to have a level of humility and a level of reflection as we're learning so if you break things apart and then work to build upon that in kind of a scaffolded progression uh, it helps build both that confidence and humility and reflection and self-efficacy while they're working towards each step towards their ultimate goal Wow. Interesting. Interesting. And so it sounds like, uh, you know, you would have to have some serious organizational buy-in, uh, you know, from an executive standpoint uh, with, what do you call them, your clients or your partners, uh, the actual health members. centers, the members. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so that you'd have to have a, a lot of buy-in to be able to, you know, to, to do this. How does your organization 
I guess, approach or get that buy-in, you know, to, how, how does that happen? Well, we started uh, with just the, the data set. So it was a great vision uh, to identify a small, reasonable, critical set of data that would be really important to know about a newborn's uh, experience, especially over the, you know, the first month or so, uh, to see what practices were, hap were, were the teams engaging in and what were some of the critical outcomes uh, that were seen by the time the baby went home or was transferred to another center because we knew these would be really important and would give us insight. So that was really how the network was built, was based on uh, voluntarily uh, centers deciding, wouldn't it be great if we knew what was going on uh, in our whole community? So, so based on this, the centers submit responses to some very well and universally defined data items. So everybody knows that they're comparing apples to apples. And then they get an annual report that shows them, here's where your center performs in comparison to, your, to the, the aggregate of all of your colleagues who are doing the same kind of work. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was really how the goodwill was established, was that this was anonymous uh, as far as the reports that come by. You don't get, you see only your own data's individual data, um, but you, you would have a sense of where you stand. So it was a really safe way to, to have an organizational vulnerability to say, you know, we're not doing as well as our colleagues in this particular area. We probably should try to see what else we could do. So then the organization decided, well, there's an opportunity and we should try to meet that need. If we're going to help them identify where their opportunities are to improve, we should invest in giving them some resources to do that. Hmm. So that began um, and I think worked extremely well. Um, I'm just going to ask you if I have dropped my audio at all. No, sounds great. Nope, still there. Okay, sorry. Okay, back on. Um, so um, they established the goodwill that way, started to work with a small group of centers for the first collaborative about 20 years ago, and worked together to try to improve a situation. They, they worked to identify the evidence to try to make improvements to try to achieve the best possible outcome, and then started to use quality improvement methods. So um, organizations really are uh, in healthcare designed to go two different ways as far as making changes. One is the research method, so getting a lot of data ahead of time, having a well-designed uh, intervention that would be offered usually to one group and the others you study, um, administer that for a period of time and then do a big assessment afterwards and hopefully that can impact your, your decision about how you'll proceed with practices. And the other is a more sort of top-down administrative model where a group of professionals would get together, members of an interdisciplinary team, review some evidence and come to a consensus agreement that this would be the new practice that we will engage in. And then that's sort of rolled out uh, more universally in a large-scale implementation. And quality improvement gives them a third way to make changes where it's appropriate. So in that way, they may look at something and say, you know, we're, you know we need to make some changes. We have an idea of what might be helpful. We've got some evidence for it, so let's just start making small changes. Let's do this one thing. Instead of investing in a rather gargantuan project, let's start with this one small thing and see if that makes a difference. Study it, maybe just for a week or so, or with a few infants or families. Assess that, and then move on to making additional change. 
So that was what the, the network really built on, creating that loop between submitting your data, seeing where you stand in comparison to your colleagues, and then offering the opportunity to participate in a quality improvement collaborative that would help you work with colleagues and with experts to try to apply some methodology to make those changes. Wow. Wow, you guys are doing some good in the world. So how, so how does that second collaborative that you you talked about, not the, you know, normally the the more traditional learning, but how does that align or help these organizations create that that improvement from a tech? I guess from a technology perspective, is any of this online? Is there activities that they're logging into? Is everybody in the same location working together, or are they? kind of working, uh, uh, you know, apart, uh, you know, over time. How does that all work and how does technology kind of support this? Sure. So um, what we had done uh, is make sure to leverage our learning management system, your membership, um, for uh, to provide that particular uh, platform for people to learn. And I think Denise really hit it home on, on what we tried to do initially was to create uh, something that would benefit uh, them and we we actually uh, started out um, not aligning to that it was about three years ago where we actually started this work where um, we I think followed more of the traditional uh, format and um, we realized from a lot of feedback that what we did uh, just wasn't aligning to the group's collaborative work that they needed to do. Uh, so one of the things I think Denise and I really talked about was trying to understand exactly what the learners needed and to do that we really started on focus groups uh, understanding from what we had what was not beneficial and what could be beneficial and we realized that there was a, a pretty large gap between what we had created and what uh, the users of that uh, Denise's collaborative uh, thought that would be the most beneficial for them with their learning and their ultimate goals and their projects so it was really as I think we we self-reflected you know took that level of humility and went back to exactly what what we do looking at those uh, focusing on the small things really instead of the big large problem and we created a small test of change where we took a piece of learning that we knew that the collaborative was using it was a step by not really a, a somewhat of a step by step but it broke the particular project down into the key steps that they needed to do and then we used our learning management system and leveraged some of the technology to make it a little bit more interactive, a little bit more accessible uh, for them to use, as well as integrating different examples and uh, that the teams had been working on in previous years to give them more ideas on how they could really look at the bigger project that they needed to do within each critical step and give them particular exercises and examples and lessons that focus on doing that particular step really well. And again, we used something that they were familiar with and that we knew was successful for them and then enhanced it. And when we had our next set of focus groups, because we continuously wanted to meet with the users to understand that we are getting to align to what we wanted to. And a year later, we we rolled out that particular small piece of, of uh, of learning and then we gave it to them we had some more focus groups and we understood that the gap we had reduced that gap a great a great deal and we were very close so we 
got more feedback and created another version. And what we did was we created a particular page for each um, team within the collaborative that they could go to that would be their page for their particular project and that would have the learning based on each one of these particular steps. So we kind of took it a little bit bigger but kept the same model and said, okay, you're going to go through step one and step two and step three, all the way through 11 steps. And once they focused and worked on the deliverable for each step based on their own culture and what they were, what the project they were trying to improve on, at the end, each of those steps would build the ultimate goal and project that they had to submit, which was an abstract. Um, again, what we what we really tried to do for them uh, was to tr again meet with them, align with them, listen to them, and keep it simple. I think one of the things that we learned uh, in the beginning was that we were overwhelming them, trying to give them everything that the learning system and that we thought was beneficial to them. And again, they're trying to focus on a particular goal and if a lot of things are coming at them that might not benefit that goal, uh, it can be overwhelming and people can kind of tune out or shut down and, and because they feel like there is no path, there is no clear path. So we, we really wanted to provide what they need and we also wanted to keep a similar structure. So within each particular step as they're working to this ultimate goal, we made sure that the, the learning page that they were seeing had a particular structure laid out. So it would start with the goals, it would give objectives, we would give resources and examples, and then Denise would work out a particular deliverable that focused on all of the goals and examples and resources, really creating the circle um, of learning from understanding what things were to providing examples so that we could really model what teams have done to make that and then give them exercise and practice to apply that learning. And then we did that for each particular step. And what that allows, uh, we found allowed users to do, our members to do, was to really build confidence in their learning because if they have a particular structure that they can keep coming back to for each step, even if that particular step is different, then whoever is championing that or the team that's working on it can really under, know how to say, okay, we're going to start with the goals, we're going to move on, we're going to review these for these models, and then we're going to apply the learning to see if we meet the goals. And that allows people to build confidence and self-efficacy in what they're doing, especially if they're going to meet something new that they might not know. Again, step one and step two might be two different things, but if you have some confidence, some baseline, you know what it's going to have, what, what, how things are laid out, it makes it easier to, to then just focus on particular learning because you don't have to continuously focus on how the learning is structured. You, you know how that works. So, and again, we, we learn that consistently by, by meeting and learning with our learners and, and having them tell us if something aligns or doesn't align or how, how it could align. Wow, fascinating, fascinating. And, and so when they finally get to the abstract and it's finally complete and you have the abstract, then what happens? So that's just one of the, one of the steps. That's sort of one of their interim steps. The collaborative process uh, duration is two years. Wow. So we ask them to submit an abstract uh, which is actually, uh, one of them described it as more of a term paper, and I think they're right. So it's an expanded abstract where if they have followed all these different steps, they really have the all of the products to combine into one document, and they should just add their reflections on that. 
But what they're doing is showing, demonstrating that they're, they're synthesizing the application of the learning. And then we give them, I, I sit and I review all of, the, uh, all of their abstracts and give them individual feedback and sort of help make sure that they're on the right track. They've stated what their next steps are. And then we encourage them to continue on uh, working. So if they've invested in this first six months of year one, which is where we are now, uh, then they should have a really great foundation and be able to continue to apply this learning. And then John and I will be adding additional types of lessons. So in addition to their focus on using quality improvement methods, which we break down in what we are calling this sequence to achieve change, then we also have some foundational principles that we know will contribute to the best possible improvements. And those are focused on uh, more advanced quality improvement methods, effective teamwork, and also family-centered care. So we're going to build, as they move beyond, so we'll have a, a, an annual conference in the fall where they will share with each other what improvements they've made. They'll all have a poster that they'll share. We will have a few hundred posters, and the teams will learn from each other in that way, come together face-to-face. -to -face. And then beyond that, we'll be adding additional lessons to help them advance their work in these other foundational principles. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you guys uh, have it together. This is this is really fantastic how, how you think about this and, and have built this program. Um, very sophisticated and, and very smart. Uh, you should be proud of yourselves. It, it, what lesson? Uh, we're, we're at the end of our time, and I've got about 50 more questions, but I can't ask them. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, what lessons, uh, you know, for somebody that's you know maybe five years behind you, you know you've you've maybe three years is probably more accurate based on your description. You know, what did you learn here in the last three years that would be the best advice that you could share to to somebody that's fallen behind you? I know my I, colleague has has the most important things to share, but I just want to uh, open sure. by saying that uh, I think from the design standpoint, it's important to utilize all of the perspectives that are really important. And John will give you some specifics, but the fact that he is an expert in education, in understanding learners, in understanding how they process information, that provides me with access to information that I don't have. Um, in our partnership, I bring uh, knowledge about uh, the clinical setting, what we're trying to achieve, but also knowledge about how the teams work in a healthcare environment. And I think without that partnership, we would definitely miss the mark. And John, I think you have some details to share about that. Oh yes, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> I think I think what um, I think what we were alluding to before about under really talking to your users and understanding um, what they need. I think a lot of times, and, and some of the mistakes or things that we really learned was that we were trying to provide the learners what we felt that they needed. And that just wasn't the case. And I think when we really looked at it, it was about listening to them, having those ongoing focus groups, having a good level of humility and reflection, and also making sure that we keep, we're keeping it simple. And I think one of the things that Denise and I really learned, just to give a good example about uh, making sure we're listening to them and aligning to them, is that we incorporated ways to make things printable. Um, so when they'd log in and they'd see a step and all the, the goals and the objectives and the resources, we made sure that we could actually have them print that out. And 
while that seems like a very simple thing to do, I think if we were initially when we were trying to give them the entire pie with all the toppings, we were looking over how how beneficial that could be because when we got down to their level and we listened to them and we said, well, why is making something printable good for you? Well, a lot of times they would say that they only have a certain amount of time to bring their learners and their environment together based on everything else that they have to do in their centers. And sometimes where they learn or the, the place that they have to go in doesn't have a computer. Everyone can't bring a laptop or might not have a projector. And they need to be able to be flexible. And when you when we were thinking about it from a technology point, you know, printing it, that that seems like a step back, but ultimately we learned from them by having them share that that actually allows them to be more flexible and expand how they can teach and how they can learn and how they can share and then apply that learning. So I think if, if I had to give any advice, I would, I would say consistently listen to the learners, go back, have them be part of this process, uh, making sure that you're keeping it simple as well as understanding and integrating tools that you know have already worked and enhancing those tools instead of trying to build something completely new uh, that you're not sure uh, is going to meet the mark. Um, those, are, I think, are, the, are some of the, the things that we took away with as some of the, the best lessons learned. Wow. There you have it, folks. Uh, sage advice from John McGregor and Denise Zayok from uh, the Vermont Oxford Network. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to, to be our guest today and share uh, your experiences and advice and and uh, strategy for, for engaging your learners. I get to, fortunate enough to, to interview and speak with a lot of learning organizations. And I'm really impressed uh, for whatever that's worth uh, of what you guys are accomplishing over there. It's pretty impressive and Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. You can find more of our content at talentlearning.com. <laughs>